The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. If you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, this morning, the sermon will be entitled, Winning Over Sinning. Winning Over Sinning. We just sang those lines in those songs. My heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus. We sang lyrics like, um, the riches of your love will always be enough. But how many of you would testify this morning that as much as you want that to be true, that sometimes it's not? Sometimes, if you're honest, your heart chases after other things and sings the praises of other things over and above the name of Jesus. If you're honest, sometimes the riches of his love, while that is true, we choose something else instead. It seems mundane to us. It seems too familiar at times. I'm just being transparent and honest, and we go chasing after the riches of this world instead. Am I alone in that, or is that your story as well, that at times you wish you didn't, but you do. You go after those things. Um, Before we moved back to South Carolina and we were living in Georgia, we bought a house uh, in the height of the market and then moved here and tried to sell it at the basement of the market and it stayed on the market for a couple of years but that that house it was in a good neighborhood it was well built it was built on a concrete slab this first house I'd ever had on a concrete slab and we went into it and when we first looked at the house we went in and there were it was just nasty it was it was horrible it had been a rental house and, uh, and we walked in, and it looked like people had just taken, like, whole pizzas and just put them on the sheetrock and just drug them down the wall. And uh, carpet was just stained, and it smelled of, of animal urine and all these things. And we were walking through the house, and we were thinking, yeah, I think we can work with this for whatever reason. And we, we, uh, we, we started noticing, what are these little black specks all over our legs, you know? And, and we, the more we looked, they were moving, and uh, they were fleas. And so we went running out of the house, and uh, a realtor looked at us, and a uh, real, real estate agent, she looked at us, and she said, I'm so sorry that I took you into that house. And we said, no, we kind of like the house. We, we kind of like to come back and see it again, but we want the fleas to be gone. So they took care of that. They brought us back. Long story short, we wound up buying that house. We went in knowing that if we got it at a good enough price that we could pretty well do what we wanted to do with it and so that's what we did we bought the house and the first thing we did was make sure all the fleas were gone and we ripped up all that carpet and got all that out of there we painted we redid the kitchen and all that sort of all that you do in in a house like that we enjoyed our time there but in the midst of that remodel when we were doing the carpet taking it up was not a problem but when I went to lay carpet back on a concrete slab that was an issue what I found was I took those concrete, the, 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 the tack strips that go around the edge of the wall, and I bought the, the ones that are made for concrete floors, and I went and did what you're supposed to do, and I took my hammer, and I hit that nail, and I tried to nail those in, and the first couple went in okay. I noticed a few along the row, they, the nails weren't taking. They weren't going in. The nail would hit the concrete, and the concrete underneath would just break, and it would, just, it would just crumble and fall apart. I thought, that's strange. I must be doing this wrong. And so I took my hammer and I hit it harder. Because <laughs> that always works, right? 
That's how my dad used to fix the old console television, you know, when we were growing up. Just hit it, you know, hit it on the side. Well, I just hit it harder thinking that'll work. That just made more concrete come out of the ground, right? So then I thought, well, I, no, I, I got this now. I got this. Tap, 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 tap. More concrete came out. I went through, I don't know how many boxes of these strips that go around that you put, lay the carpet on and stretch against. And I tried and I tried and I spent money. They're not expensive, but I spent time and spent money on my knees doing this to no avail. But I kept thinking, if I can only do it right, if it'll take once, it'll be done. I can, just, I can get this. Just keep working at it. And it wasn't until I went to an old seasoned friend in the church and said, what would you do? He said, probably what's going on is the time that your house was built till now, that's the concrete keeps aging for curing for about 50 years. And the stage that you're in, it is very brittle. So those nails are never going to take, no matter how delicate you tap those in or how strong you tap those in. We, we even tried that, that gun that you put a 22 shell in there and tried to shoot them into the floor and splinters of the wood just went out everywhere. It was awesome, but it didn't work. Um, <laughs> And finally, the guy said, what I would do is I would forego all those and I would get put down liquid nails. So that's what I did. Went out and bought a tube of liquid nails and I went around the wall and I laid those strips on there, put b- things on top of it till it cured. And next thing I know, me and, and the guy who helped me lay the carpet came in and we stretched and it held and it was perfect. Now, why do, you, why do I tell you that story? Because... A lot of us spend a whole lot of time trying to win the battle against temptation and sin by saying, I got this. I know what I'll do. I'll just hit it harder. I I got this. I'll I'll just finesse it. I got this. And the reality is you can hit it as much as you want to hit it, and you're never going to get it. The reality is... Liquid nails, faith in the finished work of Christ, reliance on God alone is what you need. Let's look at this in our passage today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Pray with me. God, I am insufficient to preach this text. God, would you take the words that are from you? They are inspired of you. They are your words. And God... Give us ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If we're going to win over sin, first thing we have to do is stop trying to be our own hero. We've got to stop trying to be our own hero. That's the point when he says in verse 12, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So many people are, they wind up falling for temptation because they've bought into the idea that they've got to do it. 
That the power to resist that temptation resides within them somewhere. And then if they can just find that magic switch. Uh, I talked to a lady this week at the gym and she said she has a switch. She can flip that switch and she can just not eat what, what, what she doesn't need to eat. And she said, I can flip that switch off again. Then I can, you know, I can eat, but I can flip it back on whenever I want. I said, I don't have that switch. My switch is off all the time. It's just eat whatever, you know. But people think that this is how it is. That this power to resist temptation is inherent within them as a human being. And the reality is the Bible teaches that in ourselves we are sinful. We have the nature that's been given to us from our first parents, Adam and Eve, that fell to temptation in the garden. We don't have this. We think that if it's going to be, it's up to me. We say things like, I got this. We have to figure out how to stop or how to quit or how to say no. We wind up in this cycle where we we feel defeated all the time. We walk around thinking there's something wrong with us because we don't see other people struggling like this. We know ourselves. We know the condition of our hearts. And we're not like those people. They seem to have it all together. When we have this mindset that it's up to me to figure this thing out, what we do is we isolate ourselves. We pull away from people. We pull away from other believers. We do so in one of two ways. We either stop coming where they are altogether. You've experienced this with people that you saw at one time were on fire seemingly for the Lord. But all of a sudden, they just disappeared. And the reality is those people, they were either never saved to begin with or they've gone into this thinking of there's something wrong with me and therefore I don't deserve to be around those people. Second way that we isolate ourselves is we may come, we may show up and attend, but we never allow anyone else, any other believers, any other brothers or sisters into our lives. We never open up and say to them, you know what, I'm not talking about coming up on stage and airing all this to everybody, but we never look at another brother or sister and say, I'm looking at things that I should not be looking at, and I need help. We never say things like, you know what, I haven't, but I'm so tempted to. I drive by this place every day when I get off work, and it's so tempting just to pull in there, and I'm struggling. I just want you to know that. Would you pray for me? Would you be accountability for me? Instead, what we do is we isolate ourselves. We pull back, and we don't let anyone else in. We don't let anyone know. We put on this facade. We walk around like everything's okay, and everything's not. And the reality is, verse 12 teaches us that we need to stop trying to be our hero. Paul's point in this, he's just spent these first 11 verses of chapter 10 saying, would you learn from the example of the Israelites when they wandered in the wilderness? Look at how many times they depended on themselves and they grumbled and they complained. Would you learn from their example? Would you learn from the example of Moses who lost his temper with them? Moses, Moses, the one whom God sent to lead the Israelites out of Egypt who looked at Pharaoh and said, let my people go, who stood on the bank of the Red Sea and saw it stand up as walls and watched them cross on dry land and then saw God close it in on the Egyptian army. Moses loses his temper in the desert. He's got anger issues. And instead of speaking to the rock, 
strikes it and never gets to go into the promised land. Learn from the example of King David who should have been out at battle where the other kings were but instead had stayed home. Thought, "Ah, my kingdom's pretty big. I'll delegate this out. I'll leave it to them. I, I got this. And then one night he's up on his roof and he looks across the way and he sees Bathsheba bathing in the moonlight. And she's attractive. And he entertains it and he looks a little longer. His his glance turns into a gaze, which turns into a stare. And then it turns into an order for his servants to go and get her. And he lies with her and she becomes pregnant. And then his... her husband is out in the battlefield where he is supposed to be. He brings him home, tries to make it look like everything's cool. This is, you know, yours. And in, he, won't, he won't betray his king or his fellow brothers at war. And he sends, David sends Uriah back out into the front of the battle, has the army pulled back from him where he's exposed and has him murdered on the front lines of battle. This is David who said, I got this. This is David who was a man after God's own heart. This is David. Learn from his example. Learn from the example of Peter who looked at Jesus when Jesus told him, I've got to go to Jerusalem because there I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, huh, not on my watch. I don't care if everybody else deserts you. I'm not going to desert you, Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Because Peter said, I got this. They might not, but I've got this. Learn from the example of so many. We will never be our hero. There is one hero of this story, and his name is Jesus. When we become too confident in our own ability to walk with the Lord, that's when we are the most susceptible to the devil's tricks. We begin to rely less and less on God's Word and God's Spirit, and we begin to rely more on and more on ourselves. We become careless with the way we live, and before we know it, what we thought we would never, ever in a million years do, we're in the middle of, hoping no one will ever find out. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Romans 12, 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Isaiah 66, verse 2 says, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Pride and overconfidence will cause you to fall every time. But faith, reliance on the one hero of the story, Jesus himself, will keep you humble, knowing that you could fall at any minute, but relying on him to keep you upright. Stop trying to be your own hero. Secondly, if we're going to win over sin, we've got to stop playing the victim. Stop playing the victim. This is what the first part of verse 13 says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Have you ever met anybody that's walking around like their situation is so unique that they deserve the pity of every single person because no one has it like they have it? I love Paul's wording here. Paul says... 
no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Some people live in such a way that they have just given themselves over to that particular temptation. They think they don't have an option. That they were born this way. Songs have been written about this. Popular songs, born this way. Can't help it. This is just how I am. I've got to embrace this because I don't think I can change. Therefore, I will say that I don't, don't need to change. People walk around saying, it's just in my genes. It's just genetic. It's hereditary. I mean, I had you know, uncles that were addicts. and I, you know, It's just kind of who I am. I had, I, had, I had family members that, you know, my dad had anger issues, therefore, you know, I'm angry. I just, I just can't help it. Or they say things like, I'm, I'm a product of my environment. If I hadn't grown up where I had grown up, then I wouldn't be the way I am. Or that they're somehow unique and no one knows what they are going through. But Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you. The word there in the original language for overtaken is a word that means taken hold of, grabbed, possessed. And Paul says, no temptation has grabbed you or possessed you or taken you over that is not common. It's not common to man. It, there's not anything, and, and I don't, this is not me saying just suck it up. We need a dose of reality to, to, to look at what we deal with in temptation and realize that there's not anything that you're going to be tempted with that countless others have not also been tempted with. In fact, Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was tempted in all ways like we are tempted, yet without sin. He may not have had the internet. Jesus was not uh, tempted with internet pornography. But think about what that is at its very root. It's Satan attacking through a particular appetite that God meant for good. God meant sexual appetite to be fulfilled within the context of marriage between a man and a woman. But Satan comes through this appetite and just, he perverts it. Jesus may not have had internet pornography, but... Jesus, all, he endured temptation, yet without sin. It's interesting as you study this, the word temptation here, when Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, the word temptation simply means to test or prove. And it really has no negative connotation at all. And this is why the Bible can say in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You ever read that and thought, wait a minute, the Spirit led Jesus to be tempted? How is that? It's because this word can this word is not negative. It literally means to test or to prove. We often see temptation only from a negative, pessimistic perspective. But what if we saw it through the lens of God's sovereignty? What if in our lives, struggling against sin, running this race, if we saw all these things as coming through the hands of God? Not leading us to sin, but giving us an opportunity to say yes to Him, to value him above what we're being tempted to chase after. 
Is this not really what God had in mind when Jesus was led into the wilderness? Did God not lead Jesus into the wilderness to prove the character, the holiness, of the, the righteousness of His own Son? Satan in the wilderness had a different idea. He came to Jesus in the wilderness after Jesus had not eaten for 40 days and said, look, your father, if you are the son of God, I mean, he's not really providing for you well. You've been 40 days without food. Aren't you hungry? You can do it. Turn these stones into bread. Satan had different ideas, but Jesus was there at the hand of God to be proven as the righteous, perfect lamb that was sent the sins of the world. What if we saw, what if we saw these trials that come into our lives, not as we're the victim, but what if we saw them as part of this training process that God in His sovereignty is taking us through where He is conforming us to the image of Christ. And every time we are faced with a particular temptation, it is an opportunity to say, yes, Lord, instead of no, Lord. What if in that moment it was an opportunity to be more like Jesus in the wilderness? Satan always has other plans, but his schemes will never frustrate ultimately. They will never ultimately ruin the sovereign will of God. And what does God say about you? We'll find out later. I don't want to get ahead of myself. This does not mean, though, that when I tell you stop playing the victim, it does not mean that we should simply, when temptation comes, that we should just resign ourselves to it and say, hey, This came ultimately through the hands of God. He's permitted it, so he must want me to have it. That would be preaching against the whole of Scripture. We are always told to resist temptation, aren't we? To flee from it. James says in in chapter 1, verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we can't, when temptation comes our way, simply say, hey, God's sovereign, this is here, he must want me to have this. We cannot take the attitude like Bill, who I worked with when I was just out of high school, to say, God knows how I am and he knows what I'm doing with this woman, therefore he must be okay with it. We cannot take that attitude because we're told, James also says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So what do we do then? If we're not to be our own hero, but we're also not to play the victim, then how are we to win over sin? And this is the main point of the passage. Rely on God. Verse 13, the second part says, God is faithful. Don't skip over that to get to the part that you like of the verse. Don't miss. God is faithful. He is faithful. What He has said, He will do. What He has promised, He will do. So what has He promised of you? Romans 8, 28-30 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Here's what God promises you, Christian. He promises that He will not simply save you and then leave you and say, hope you make it. Instead, He saves you, never leaves you, and guarantees you that you will see Him in heaven and spend eternity around His throne. He keeps you. And some of us are walking around with sin in our lives, falling to temptation over and over, feeling defeated, wanting to isolate ourselves from the people of God in one way or another, thinking that I don't measure up. There's something wrong with me. Therefore, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe God has never saved me. The reality is, if you're counting on yourself to keep yourself saved, you don't understand the gospel. There's no need to think that we will somehow fall away from God if we are truly in Christ because Romans 8 goes on in verses 31 through 34 and says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Christian, if you are indeed a Christian, there is no need for you to think that your sinning, your falling to temptation will cause you to be cast away from God. If you are in Christ, you will be led to turn away from that sin again, trusting Christ. The gospel is an everyday gospel. Let me say that again. The gospel is an everyday gospel. It is not simply something, it's not a formula that we pray or that we think or that we write down at a particular point at the beginning. The gospel is every day. When I was eight years old, it was, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. Would you forgive me of my sin? And would you save me? At 38 years old, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Not, not a sinner in that I'm cast out away from God, but I still struggle with this sin. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you save me and help me live for you? It's every day of your life. You don't get saved over and over again, but we are in this process of being saved. We are being transformed. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. He is faithful. What he has said, he will do. God is faithful. Secondly, in verse 13, he is protector. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. I just, in my Bible, underlined the word let. 
He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Isn't that amazing? I tell my kids, hey, only one fudge round a day. About a 12-pack, like two days, it's gone. Where did all the fudge rounds go? I don't know. I don't know where they went. Mom must have ate them, right? I can't even... I can't even keep my kids from eating too many fudge rounds. God says, I won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. Think about it. Think about the story of Job. Remember the story of Job? Remember the first part? Satan comes in. Have you considered my servant Job? The only reason he's faithful to you is because of all the blessings you've given him. I take those away, I'm going to curse you to your face. God says, do whatever you want to to him, only don't touch him. God lets him. God was in control the whole time. Satan could only go as far as God allowed him to go. This does not mean, this in your life, this is what this means, that everything that comes into your life comes through the hands of a loving, perfectly strong, perfectly holy, righteous, sovereign God who knows you, knows what's best for you, and only allows into your life what is best for you, what is good for you. So whatever comes your way is good doesn't mean that in its nature it's good. You're being tempted to look at this or to take this. doesn't mean that to do that is, to go, is, is good. But what he allows is good in the sense that it can lead to good things. This does not mean that God will always fill your life with puppies and rainbows. God allowed Job's life to be wrecked. Everything was taken from him. Everything. But his life, his children gone, his possessions gone, his livestock gone, all in one day. If you read the account in Job, a servant comes and says, hey, while I was out here in the field, it, they were, it, the animals were grazing and these band of raiders came and they killed your servants and they took the flock. And it, while he's telling this, another one comes from another direction. I was over here and this happened. Another one comes from another direction. I was over here and this happened. Another one comes while he's still speaking. It's, it's interesting to look at that. That these all come from different directions. North, south, east, and west. It's as if problems are coming. This tragedy is coming from every single direction. When God says, okay, Satan, do that. God allowed Job's life to be wrecked. But he is a good father who always knows best. He is protector, and we must see him as that. It's hard to do when you're in the midst of temptation, isn't it? I mean, that's hard to do. But he is protector, and he is, there is a limit as to what Satan can do to you. 
there is a limit to what those demons can get at you with. This is not taking God off guard. God's not sitting somewhere in heaven. He's not off playing golf while, while you're struggling. He, he's not that God. He knows. He has allowed. He is protecting you even when it feels like he's not. The third about God in this passage in verse 13, he is provider. That with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God always provides the way of escape. Doesn't he? We may not always take it, but God always provides the way of escape. There's always a moment between yielding to Satan's temptation and choosing to delight in God and his ways instead. There's always that moment. God always provides that way out. Sometimes it comes through a verse of Scripture that you've been meditating on. And this is why it's important for us to hide God's Word in our hearts, to memorize Scripture. This is why it's important that we we linger on God's Word, that we plant our lives by the stream of water that is God's Word. Because in those moments of temptation, oftentimes you can tell me many times where you've been tempted to something and all of a sudden that passage of Scripture come to your mind and it has saved you. It has kept you from saying yes to the temptation that's there. Sometimes the way of escape comes from a point in a sermon that you heard recently or from the encouraging testimony of another brother or sister. Maybe they didn't even know what they were doing, but just in passing at work or in the gym, they said to you, this is what I was dealing with, and hey, I found this verse the other day, and this is what it said to me. And they thought it meant nothing to you, but in a moment of temptation, that conversation was recalled to you, and God uses it to say, hey, follow me. Follow me in this. Sometimes the way of Escape comes in thinking on the consequences of what will happen if you take this path. Sometimes it comes as we think about the rewards if you don't follow and give in to this temptation. Sometimes it comes when we think about not wanting to let a particular person down. We think those things are simply coincidence that in the moment that, you know, hey, I just chose not to do this. But the reality is those are sovereignly appointed by God. They're directed to you. They're his leadership in that moment. Whatever form it takes, we can be sure that it is from God. Well, look, look at the way this is worded in verse 13. With the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Aren't those two words contradictory? Escape, endure. Seemingly, those two things are going in opposite directions. We want God in the middle of temptation. God, get me out, right? But what God does so often is to say, I'll get you out, but the way you're going to get out is to endure through. It's to trust me through. It's Jesus in the wilderness saying, man's not fed by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus was not miraculously taken out of the desert, was he? Satan shows up, all of a sudden Jesus just transports somewhere else. 
It doesn't happen. Instead, God leaves him there. The Holy Spirit doesn't all of a sudden say, yep, Holy Spirit, let him out. Instead, leaves him there. Satan comes back twice more with more temptation. The sovereignty of God allows Jesus in that moment to be tested all the more. Why? Proving the righteousness of the Son of God. We want God to get us out, but He most often sees us through. This verse that we're looking at now is most, it's often misquoted. Most of the time we, we quote it and people say, hey, God will never put on you more than you can handle. And that's wrong. The reality is, God will never put on you more than the amount of grace that He gives you. God's grace is always sufficient. Paul knew this. Paul knew this because he said, hey, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh to to keep me from becoming conceited. And I prayed three times, God, take this away from me. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, the reality is we come to temptation and we see it from this negative, pessimistic thing that, why am I having to deal with this? Gosh, God, just get me out of this. Or we come to it and we say, man, if I was just stronger, if I was just strong, if I was just like those people. We don't need to be like anybody else in this room. Let's just all be real honest Really, right here? I mean, if, if I had the technology to just push a button and all of a sudden the secrets of your life were just in a bubble above your head, would you be okay with that? No, <laughs> no that's right. <laughs> Appreciate that. Because I would not. I, and I've said it to you before. Um, it's not original with me either, but if, if you knew the secrets of my life, you would not sit in here and listen to me preach. If I knew the secrets of your life, I'd be tempted to give up on you, not preach to you. The reality is we don't need to look at one another and say, oh, if I was only more like her. Oh, if I was only more like him. The reality is in the middle of this, we need to stop trying to be our own hero and stop playing the victim. See this as coming from the sovereign hand of God and rely on him. He is faithful. He is protector. He is provider. So, what's the outcome of this? Do we simply just say, let go and let God? You know? No. We don't just cruise Facebook all day long. I'm letting go and letting God, you know? Instead, look at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. See, this is what happens. When we stop trying to be our own hero, when we stop playing the victim, and we see this as coming from a sovereign, loving God, and we rely on Him, then He is supplying the strength we need to choose to move. It's in that moment where we say, no, my Father's faithful. He is protecting me. He's providing me a way out. I'm choosing to take that way out. Not in my own strength, but in that moment by the faith that he also has provided. Flee from idolatry. Flee from immorality. 
flee from whatever temptation is assailing you by the power of God. Winning over sinning is not somewhere within us. It is the power, it is the work of God. Paul said it this way, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. Paul said, work out your own salvation as he works in you. There's a partnership here between God giving us the power and then us walking in that power. We will not win over sin by trusting in ourselves or trying to be like someone else. We will win over sin as we every day rely on God. Let's pray. Jesus, these things that have been said of you are true because they are your word. Take what I have said and anything that came from me, God, melt it away. But God, those things that are true and of, you, of you and from you, God, make those stick. Lord, I, I pray, God, that you would help us to hear the truth. God, that you would set us free today from trusting in ourselves or trying to be like someone else or whatever the case may be. And God, would you simply teach us to rely on you, to choose to move in the power that you supply, to see you as faithful and protector and provider. God, you are a good father. Would help us to know that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.